Welcome. You're listening to The Bump Podcast, a place for believers of the unexplained, monsters, and paranormal. I'm your host, Bo Kennedy. Join us as we go face-to-face with what goes bump in the night. Hey there, believers. Today we're going to talk to Andrew, the curator of the Flatwoods Monster Museum in Flatwoods, West Virginia. Um, he's going to walk us through the events that led up to that iconic night in September 1952. He is quite the historian. He's going to tell us some other related um, events in and around that time. So just sit back and relax and let's get ready to go. The Flatwoods Monster Sighting was an incident that took place um, in a little town of Flatwoods in Braxton County on um, September 12, 1952. And it uh, took place about 7 o'clock in the evening. And uh, two brothers, Eddie and Fred May, um, were playing on the uh, the field uh, by, or, or I guess maybe the lawn of the Flatwoods Elementary School um, with some friends, um, which included... Um, Neil Nunley, Tommy Heyer, and Ronnie Shaver. Um, I believe there were actually more people there present, there were more children present, but these were the only the only group that uh, decided to, you know, move into any action. So what happened was um, they were playing, and uh, the group described something streaked across the sky that they described as a, like a fireball um, flying quickly overhead. Um, and it appeared to land on a nearby hilltop um, just past the uh, the Bailey Fisher farm, which was a small farm, small hilltop farm um, in Flatwoods. And the group um, decided they would go try to, you know, see whatever this thing was they saw in the sky, you know, that it appeared to land nearby. Um, so uh, they took off, and on their way, um, they actually passed um, – the Mayboy's home, where their mother Kathleen was, so they uh, stopped there and told um, told their mother what they what they had seen and what they were doing, and uh, so she thought it best if she went with them. And uh, these boys were between the ages of uh, nine and fifteen at the time, and Kathleen was thirty two, and um, she decided she had a cousin that was visiting a neighbor. His name was Gene Lemon. And uh, so she, he was actually a cousin of hers. Her maiden name was Lemon. And um, he was, I believe, 19 years old and was in the Army National Guard. So she thought, well, if anything, you know, should happen, that it might be a good idea to have, you know, a strong young man. We'll get him and come along with us. And uh, Gene's the one that actually brought the flashlight. and uh, Nobody else had a flashlight at the time. Um, so they uh, continued up this hill and crossed the farm. And walked into the woods where the boys uh, thought the whatever they'd seen had landed. And um, in an account that was provided by Nunley, um, he reportedly saw a pulsing red light near the top of the hill. And this was a light that, you know, shouldn't have been there. And um, as they were fixated on this light and, and walking through um, a relatively narrow path in the woods, um, the uh, the air filled with a sort of a, a terrible smell that um, irritated their eyes and their in their throat, and uh, some of them described it as um, almost being sulfuric. 
Um, others described it as kind of having like a metallic uh, smell. So while they were standing there, um, they they noticed this figure from their left uh, coming through the woods and appearing to float uh, toward them. And they estimated it to be roughly around 10 feet tall. Um, didn't appear to be taking steps, like I said, appeared to be floating or gliding, which, of course, immediately um, scared them. And uh, so they immediately turned and ran back down the hill to their home. And they also described it as having two maybe eyes, um, but they didn't know if it was eyes. It was uh, There were two spots on a part of the figure that they saw that they would call a head. Um, and they didn't know, and they were lighting up. So they didn't know if they were actually eyes or if they were just lights, um, but they definitely glue, uh, like glowed a um, sort of an amber collar. And um, so they ran to the uh, ran down to their home, um, called the uh, you know the local authorities, um, who were actually out on another call of a kind of similar nature, but that was uh, they were in the Gasaway area which was about 10 miles south of Flatwoods. Uh, but by the time they um, got to Flatwoods and got to where the sighting took place, um, it was at this time completely dark, and the, the red light had gone. Um, and the only thing that remained um, of the figure um, was the smell that the, the, the witnesses um, reported. That was still lingering in the air. But the, the figure was no no uh, trace of it was found, and the light was gone. And um, some other things, whenever they were describing it, you know, they described it as a towering man-like, quote-unquote, figure uh, with a round red face uh, surrounded by a pointed hood-like shape. And the body was dark and seemingly colorless. But um, some would later say that it was green, so that's where the green monster um, thing ended up uh, coming to be, and Kathleen May described um, the body of it having um, a structure that reminded her of drape-like folds. Now, whether that was actual fabric or whether that was something hard that maybe just had a shape that would remind her of that, um, nobody really knows. Wow. Okay. So the the discrepancies in what what they were seeing it's kind of understandable i guess with all the you know all the fear that was going on in there and you know being taken by surprise and everything yeah and the the brevity of you know the time they had to witness it you know they really didn't have much time the majority of what the witnesses would describe when you know when they would uh, retell their story is they were mostly they would mostly focus on and talk about like the top of it and like the quote-unquote head um, section of it, because that's kind of what they could see the best. It was silhouetted the best, um, so making out the outside perimeter of that was the easiest, and then everything else kind of maybe gets a little bit foggier. Um, but but being that they could see the top, and um, where they got the, the estimation of being about 10 feet tall was there was a tree um, that the uh, monster, uh, or whatever they saw, you know, um, appeared to sort of come out from behind, and it had a limb that its head just barely cleared. And that head or that limb was about 12 feet in the air. Um, so they're estimating between 10 and 12 feet. I think they mostly settled on about 10. Okay. Well, that's a good measurement, you know, actually. And didn't that tree die? Yeah. It was a big oak tree. Um, and that tree did, ended up dying just within the, the next. I don't know. It kind of takes a while for a tree to die and look dead, um, but it was relatively recent after that. And um, if you look around online, you can find pictures of the tree whenever it was pretty much dead and just a really tall stump. Um, and then the way it looks now is uh, the remainder of the stump, about 10 feet of it or so, maybe less, um, has fallen sideways and has you know rotted and is you know just sort of falling apart. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, if it if it killed a tree, you know, that I've heard other stories and stuff like that. You know, like with uh, you know, your typical crop circles. You know, nothing will grow in those areas ever again, or it uh -huh. takes years before they do. 
do you think it was some kind of radiation, radioactive? It's possible. Um, I mean, I don't know that, and I don't know that it was ever confirmed. I do know that within days of that um, sighting taking place, there were um, scientists and I believe a, a group of uh, Army personnel that were dispatched to come and, you know, interview and, uh, you know, interview eyewitnesses and to check out the sighting location. And I know that they that their orders consisted of if, you know, any evidence um, – was there to be gathered to gather it and and bring it back and I do believe um that um radiation you know that there it was tested for radiation but the way that I understand it is any sort of evidence or any sort of data that was collected was all taken with them and none of that was reported back to the local um you know anybody locally particularly the witnesses like uh, um I've um been able to uh, meet and get to know uh, one of the witnesses, uh, Freddie May, who was 10 at the time, and he said, as far as he knows, he's you know he's he's never he's never been told anything. You know, he's never been told anything about anything that could have or may have been recovered, any data that was collected, any evidence, anything like that. He's he's never been told anything. Now that that sounds like a typical government move, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, but it, you know, it, I always like to. I always like to play devil's advocate and leave room, you know, for things because it's possible maybe they found nothing and there was nothing they felt uh, worth reporting. I mean that that could be the case too, but Very, yeah. But since it was never reported, you will never know. Now I've read a uh, I've, well I've I've been to the museum several times and I've read the story probably a dozen times, but I've I found a couple of articles that mentioned Project Blue Book actually coming out. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's true? That, yes, that's true. And now I don't know exactly when it was done. I'm going to assume relatively um, soon after. Uh, but, you know, if you if you watch that uh, series, Project Blue Book, that was on History Channel, they yeah. made it seem like, you know, Hynek came out like the next day or something. But I don't think it was that – I don't think it was that soon. But, yes, uh, Jay Allen Hynek did um, come to Flatwoods and interview – um, I know he interviewed Kathleen. Um, I'm not sure. I'm going to assume that he spoke to the, the kids. Um, I've never actually talked to Freddie May specifically about Heineck, uh, but I don't even know if at the time if if it would have even impressed upon Freddie that, you know, who Alan Heineck was, that, he, that he's just some other grown-up grilling him about what he saw. Yeah. You right. know, so the the possibility that he wouldn't even know who it was seems very likely. Right. Let's but, yeah, they, they did, in fact, um, investigate it. That is, that's just so cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that, it's just I've, – I've loved this stuff ever since I could talk. I've been into this kind of stuff. It, I just – wow. Okay. Well, i got a couple more questions about this sighting. Okay. Um, now, they there were seven of them, right, that went up there looking, and they had a dog with them as well. Yes, yeah, I, be, I believe that seven sounds about right, if not seven, six. Um, it's strange. Sometimes when it's been reported, you'll hear different names come up. Um, now, Freddie, though, has, has whenever he's, you know, said all the people that went with him, I believe it was seven, but there is one name, and, and his name has escaped me right now. I'm sorry about that. But um, there was one other boy that that he has said was – was with him, but that in some retellings of the story, like some published articles, even going all the way back to around that time, he's not mentioned. Um, and Freddie will tell you, you know, if he's talking to you about the Flatwoods Monster, he'll tell you right up front, you know, he was 10 when it took place. He's in the 70s now. You know, you might not be able to, you know, like he, there might be something that he might misremember or something like that. You know, I don't know if it would be as major as, you know, somebody not being there, but. You know, I think he would allow for the possibility that he's, you know, messed something up if he's telling the story and that he's misremembered something or gotten it wrong. Um, however, yeah, but you mentioned the dog. Um, the dog that came up with him was actually the May family dog. I'm trying to think of what the dog's name was. I knew that at one time. Freddie told it to me. It wasn't ever published until I asked Freddie what his name was. But that uh, 
but something that was published though, going all the way back then, was that the dog that went up with him died. Um, but I've since learned the dog's name was Ricky. I just remembered um, that, according to Freddie, if the dog that they're referring to is their dog that went up with them, that dog did not die. That it um, that it lived a normal, you know, like I mean, it died eventually, but that right. it lived more or less a normal length of a dog's life. He said, unless they're referring to some other dog that he didn't know or didn't know was with him, uh, he said his dog, Ricky, he said he, that dog did come up with him, um, but that it didn't, uh, that it didn't die. See, that, that's where I was going with that. I was going to ask because I've read both. I've read that the whole family got sick. I heard that the dog fell over dead the next, you know, in the, within the next week. And I didn't know if it was really that dramatic on the family, um, on their health. Or if it was just rumor. So yeah, yeah. The dog, the dog didn't die. However, you know that gas that I that I said they were breathing, or that smell, um, you know, it did irritate their eyes. It irritated their throat, and it did affect some of them longer than others. Like uh, Freddie, when I asked him about it, he said once they were out of the area and he was breathing fresh air again, that more or less he felt fine. But that Neil Nunley, who was who was 15 at the time. That he was actually bothered about it for a couple of days. It 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 affected him. Uh, now it wasn't like, uh, you know, he was throwing up blood or anything like that. But it, uh, he was, you know, he was irritated. Um, his throat was irritated. His eyes were irritated for a number of days after the sighting took place. And you also mentioned something was going on in uh, Gathaway nearby. Yes. Um, and the way there? that I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was just asking what what. Uh, what had went on there at that time? Well, the way that I understand it is that somebody had called in around the Gasaway area, and, and it's still not clear to me if the reason why Gasaway was reported is if it was because it was the closest, like, incorporated town. Um, I, it, it could have just been in that area, so it could have been maybe a little bit more southern. Um, but they, in the report, it specifically mentions near the Elk River, which runs between um, Sutton and Charleston in West Virginia, um, but it passes by um, uh, Gasway. But but the, anyway, that there was a report of a possible um, downed um, airplane. Um, you know, somebody re- reported a a uh, basically like an airplane on fire crashing around the Gasway area near the Elk River, and the sheriff was off looking for any evidence of that and whether whether or not he was only given that general of an idea or if he was given a specific place, I don't know. But I know that he never found any evidence of anything like that. Um, so what I've always just s- sort of figured, um, you know, this is just a guess of mine, but to me it makes perfect sense that if folks in Flatwood saw something in the in the sky – that if you're in Gasaway or in the Gasaway area, that's only 10 miles south. And when you're talking 10 miles on the ground, and as it relates to what's visible in the sky, you don't have to be very high up before, you know, folks in both places could see it, especially if it's streaked across the sky and maybe went from one place to another or that, right. you know, that sort of thing. So I've often wondered if whatever report they were responding to in the Gasaway area was related to the one, you know, the, the the sighting that took place in Flatwoods. And to me, that makes so much sense and, you know, that there would be something, you know, apparently, uh, you know, burning or, or not necessarily burning, but I don't know how to describe, you know, something that maybe from a bystander would look like it was on fire. You know, how many things are going to be up in the sky above Braxton County and on a specific day in 1952? That just doesn't make sense to me that it would be more than one thing. Right. Um, right. So that so that's what I've always assumed, but that's just been a an assumption that I've made. Um, you know, whether or not that's backed up by anything for sure is, uh, you know, I don't know about that. Well, you know, you're right. It makes sense. You know, it, it, maybe it was northbound, and it, they, it passed through Gasaway first. They saw it. Somebody called in, and then it made it to Flatwoods before it landed or crashed or whatever. Yeah. And the description of this creature or monster or whatever you want to call it it almost sounds like uh mechanical you know it, like it, it's got the 
the pointed dome-shaped head or spade-shaped, and the the skirt across the bottom could be, you know, the almost like cowling for uh, some kind of propulsion system. Yeah, and, and if you talk to uh, to Freddie, that's what he – I know that when it, he was interviewed um, for a documentary that was re- released in 2018 called uh, Flatwoods Monster, A Legacy of Fear. Um, he was interviewed on that, and um, – in there, he mentions that to him, as best as he can recollect, what he saw was something, at least metal, um, you know, kind of for lack of a better word, something rigid. He said to him, it doesn't, didn't look like a creature at all. He said, now, as far as he knew, there's a creature inside of it. Um, but, you know, he just didn't know that. But to him, it looked, it did look like a figure of some sort, but that it looked to him mechanical in nature. Um, but he said, he said, you know, the way that it looks, how it was configured and everything, he said it was unlike anything he'd ever seen before or since, and that includes, you know, video, photos. Um, so he's still, you know, I don't know that, you know, Freddie's never been, you know, the one to say that this is definitely extraterrestrial, but what he will say is whatever it was, like I said, that he's not seen in over 60 years anything like it, and that it doesn't resemble anything like it, and um, that whatever it is, if, it, if it's terrestrial, it's it's got to be something fairly unknown, or or maybe even top secret. Um, but he he would not uh, he would not put it past it being extraterrestrial. I mean, I definitely think he's open to the possibility that that it, that it was. Yeah, you kind of have to be at that point, you know, and that that was. Uh... During the Cold War, you know, Korea was wrapping up, and there's there's all that underlying fear already. So, you know, I guess everybody was on the needles about anything shooting through the sky, you know, on yeah. on fire. Um, yeah, and and there's there's been, you know, I know that in some skeptics' arguments, you know, they've talked about that, uh, you know, that they believe 100% that the group thought they saw what they saw but that maybe it was misidentified because that they might be hyped up on before they even got there thinking that they saw a spacecraft but in actuality um, the Mayboys both thought that what they saw through the sky you know could have possibly even been like a meteor so they were kind of just curious you know they weren't even thinking alien or spacecraft or anything right. like that until they actually came face to face with whatever this was. You know, right. that's when the idea that maybe it's something like that, uh, and then that's of course, you know, when terrorists set in and they were down the hill. Yeah, yeah, and I don't blame them. You know, yeah. I mean, how could you have any other reaction than yeah, exactly away from that thing? Now, wasn't there a couple of other sightings in and around that area, or am I am I confused with something else? No, you are, or, or you're, you're right. You're right. You're not confused. Um, there, there was a sighting that took place. Um, it would have had to have taken place before, but we don't have an exact, exact date on when it would have taken place. The, re, the, the estimation is that it was, yeah, it was in September, but that it was before, and that it took place in, um, in Heaters, West Virginia, which is just about maybe 15 miles north or so of Flatwoods. However, that the reason where, where that story is similar, or where I feel like there's a, there, there could be a relation, I'm not saying there is, but that there could be, is the time in which it took place and also um, the, um, the way in which the, the thing that was seen kind of matches in description in that they saw this figure that was dark, um, roughly guessed to be about maybe 10 feet tall, was tall, you know, figure-shaped and, and sort of uh, slender. Um, but that story, that's the story of uh, Audra Harper, um, who who lived in, in that area, and she was actually walking through the woods with a friend of hers in order to take a shortcut to the nearest store, which was about a mile away. Um, and they're walking through the woods. And, you know, basically there's there's more to the story but that essentially what happens is partway through their trip, they see a figure um, that be, appear to be about 10 feet tall, slender, 
and and black uh, or or like devoid of light. I can't remember exactly how she described it, but that this figure um, followed them uh, through the woods as they were running from it, and that the whole the whole time it gained ground on them. And after about a half mile, um, they had gotten to a fence, uh, crossed it, and continued running, and that this figure that was following them stopped at that fence and never came any further. And uh, by the time they got where they were going, they, they got to the store, and the whole time while they were there, um, they were trying to see if they could get anybody to give them a ride back home so that they wouldn't have to walk back through the woods or if nothing else, if anybody had a gun, that they would let them take back home with them uh, for fear that they'd run into something else, at least they'd be armed. Um, and uh, so in the store, they ended up finding a, a, a gentleman that uh, would take them back home whenever they are done shopping. So they got a ride back home where they didn't have to walk through the woods. And according to her family, she never walked that shortcut again for the rest of her life. Wow, I love that. They're like, you know, somebody give me a gun. I got, I got to get back home. I got some business to take care of on the way. You know. Well, that's probably the last thing they wanted is to go that way. But they thought, well, if we have to, might yeah. as well be armed because they were two, you know, younger women and they didn't have a, a firearm. And to be honest with you, they probably should have. Um, I mean, you're walking through the woods. We do have black bear here. Um, you know, but uh, but yeah, that was that was one of the. Uh, the requests that they were that they were making. Um, so so that's one. And then the uh, the other one is uh, one that I always kind of have reservations about. But it it was a story that took place supposedly on the the night after the famous sighting. Um, on so this would be on the 13th, so September 13th, uh, 1952. And I'll briefly you know tell you that story. Um, as briefly as I can, it's chock-a-block full of details. But um, so it was a it was a man by the name of George Natowski was um, driving he and his wife and um, their uh, infant um, from Cleveland, Ohio, back to their home in New York City, New York, and um, their route. Um, took them through, you know, central West Virginia. And what was funny, though, is I actually, uh, before I get too far into it, is I, I actually, whenever I heard that, I remember thinking, like, there's no way that that makes sense as a route to take. However, I looked it up, you know, I looked it up on Google um, Maps and and told it to eliminate highways. So this would have been pre any interstates and that sort of thing. So it would have been all more or less, you know, two-lane roads. And... The quickest route, according to Google, would actually take you through Parkersburg, West Virginia. Um, but if you're looking at a map and the only thing you have are lines to follow and you don't have the convenience of Google telling you what's quicker and what's not, um, going through here actually it looks about the same if you're just looking at a map. Now, the way Google tells it, it's, it's an hour longer if you come through this way. But it it really makes it a 12-hour trip into a 13-hour trip, so not that different. So, wow. so I actually thought that would discredit it quite a bit, but it actually doesn't. Um, but however, they're so they're driving along and they're on Route Four, and uh, Route Four extends from Charleston in the south um, all the way up, and actually extends quite a bit past Braxton County, West Virginia. But um, but it, it goes through. Um, Braxton, and uh, he said the best that he could pinpoint, he was somewhere between uh, the town of Clay um, and the town of Sutton, West Virginia. So he said he's somewhere in between there. Now, the trouble with that is, you know, that's a 30, 40-mile gap. It's It's pretty big, especially on a road like Route 4 that rides right beside the Elk River the whole time, which is very windy. You know, most of the time you're not going more than 35 miles an hour on the road, maybe 45, you know, 50 if you're living dangerous. Um, so, um, so, th- so that was kind of always strike one for me. That's a pretty big space to say it was between one or the other. But in any case, this is his story as he told it. Um, it's dark. He's uh, driving up Route 4, 
and as they're um, as he's driving, again in that area that I was telling you about, um, he starts having car trouble. So uh, he pulls off alongside the road and kind of tries to investigate to see what's wrong with it. And while he's there, he notices in the woods nearby like a bright light um, that just kind of hard to tell where it's you know emanating from, but it's just really bright in the middle of the woods. And he feels compelled to walk toward it. And as he's walking toward it, um, there's an awful smell that's filling the air that's irritating his, his nose and his throat. Um, and also, he reports that he had a sensation that covered his whole body that felt like pins and needles, like his whole body, like almost like his whole body was vibrating. And so it scared him. He turned around and came back toward the car. And as he was, as he, as he did, he got violently ill and, and threw up beside the car. And while he was at the car, his wife started screaming in terror. So while he was trying to get his wits back about him to figure out what was going on, he found out that what she was screaming at was there was a figure behind him coming out of the, uh, coming out of the woods from that bright light. So he quickly got in the car, uh, took his uh, his wife in the back. They both laid over top of their their infant, and, and he basically covered over top of them to protect them in case something were to happen. Uh, and at some point, he raised his head up to look over the seats to see what he could see and that this figure was standing at the front of his car. Um, so immediately still... Filled with fear, laid back down over his, his his wife, and by the time he had enough gumption to look again, he looked and um, the figure was gone, and I believe the light was gone out of the out of the woods. Um, so, you know, he kind of got everybody calmed down, got 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 back in his seat, started up the engine, and it started right up. So then he said that he continued driving and then found an all-night diner and hotel in Sutton, got a bite to eat with his family, and then stayed there for the night. Now, how had he heard the story of uh, the Flatwoods Monster? Had that made it all the way up to where he was from? Or is, well, is, so here's the thing. So, these, so this, is where I, this is the point where I like to point out all the stuff that doesn't make sense to me. And that's going to be, one, this story wasn't reported until 1955. So if it – okay, let's say it took place on the 13th, and if it did, then that's crazy, and that lends even more credibility to the September 12th sighting. However, what worries me is if it wasn't reported until three years later, that is plenty of time to familiarize yourself with the original story and as I would like to say, you know, maybe even punch it up a little bit, yep. you know, and then retell it. Um, so there's part of me that thinks that. There's also part of me, too, that if you would look on a pretty detailed map, you could probably find Clay and you could probably find Sutton, but you're not going to see the little towns in between, like at Frametown or Strange Creek, or because they're too small to put on a map. So you're not going to know exactly where you are. And then his story never once mentions the Elk River or any river that he would have been driving alongside of for at least the past two hours and that he would have continued to drive past on his way into Sutton. So that's not mentioned once. So when he says the woods, it would have to be, if you're if you're to get the bearings of everybody listening, uh, and, and us included, you know, if you're driving from south to north, from Charleston to um, to Sutton, uh, the river would be on your right, and there are plenty of woods across the river, but there's not really much between you and the river. It's pretty much just you and the river. Right. And then from the left, there might be woods, and I don't know what it would have looked like then, but now, and I imagine at least to a degree then, People lived all up and down that river, um, and most of what would be on your left is not woods at all. Most of it is either sh- like sheer hillside or like developed, 
you know, places where there's houses and stuff like that. So nothing like that's ever mentioned in the story either. So that's kind of another nail in it. And then the last one for me is he talked about an all-night diner and, and um, like, Inn and Sutton. And as far as I know, that didn't exist. Really? Yes. Now, I could be wrong, um, you know, because I, I never claim to know everything. But I don't think so. Um, there is like there is a there is a place called the Century Inn in Sutton that's a diner, and at one time they had hotel rooms, but I don't think it was all night. The diner part definitely wasn't all night, um, so I don't know about that. But that part of the story, maybe when he retold it, maybe he just it's possible maybe he just got it wrong, and that it wasn't all night. Maybe he just made an assumption. Um, but I don't believe any place here was an all night. 24-hour sort of place. Right. Um, however, the one thing that brings me back into believing the story more is uh, there's a a guy that I w- was um, privileged to meet, um, although he, he's asked me to never mention him my name, but um, he's a guy who grew up in the small town of, uh, which really is not even a, a town because it's not incorporated, uh, but the small town of Strange Creek, um, which is between Clay and Sutton, pretty much smack dab in the middle. And this gentleman said that, um, you know, whenever, um, you know, Frank Fashino's book came out um, that has to do with, you know, the, the Flatwoods monster incident, um, he bought it and read it mainly just because it, it was – a book that had to do with the area, you know, where he was raised. So more as a curiosity, not for anything else. But he got it and was reading it. And there's one section in it where um, Frank retells uh, the story of um, of uh, George Snitowski that I was telling you about. And uh, says so he's reading it, um, Frank puts in an illustration based off of George Natowski's description of the figure he saw or the monster that he saw. And um, this gentleman said that when he got to that illustration, he was just gripped with panic, and he dropped the book, and uh, he kind of didn't know what was happening to him, but he had a, an instant visceral response to seeing this drawing. And once he picked it back up, he picked back up the book, he's looking at it, and he's trying to figure out what's happening to him, basically. And while he is, memories that he had long forgotten are rushing back to him. <clears throat> and what he remembers is this, that one day he would have been really young, didn't know didn't know when, didn't know, you know when it took place, didn't know how old he was, anything. But this is the memory that came back to him, is uh, one night he woke up in the middle of the night, <clears throat> and happened to look out his window of his bedroom. And when he did, he could see their, you know, their property around them and like their lawn. He said that when he did, he he saw something walk through his lawn that looked like Frank's illustration. And he said he's when he saw it, he was petrified and ran out into the hallway to see if he could find somebody or tell somebody. Well, it was in the middle of the night, and everybody was asleep. He said, and everybody had their door shut, and that he knew that if he bothered anybody, he would get in trouble. Like he thought he'd get in trouble if he bothered anybody. So he didn't want to wake anybody up. So he didn't wake anybody up, and he went back to his bedroom. And when he had the courage to look back out his window to see if it was still there, he looked, and it wasn't. Um, So he laid himself back down and um, calmed, calmed himself down and was able to fall back to sleep. So this is the memory that he has. But while he's even remembered, he's thinking this this can't be real. Like this this can't be real. How could I have forgotten that and then just remembered it now as an older man? Um and this would probably would have been sometime around the two thousands or so when this all hit him. So he thought about it and wrestled with it for a little while and finally he decided he was going to call his oldest sister I think he was the youngest, or pretty well youngest, out of all of his, his siblings, but he had a big family. So he called 
his older sister and said, listen, I got something to tell you about, and you're going to think I'm crazy, but just hear me out, and I want you to see if this rings any bells for you. So he told her basically everything that I just told you and that she said. Well, that's really weird because I remember whenever you were really little, you would tell us about seeing a monster or seeing something that scared you and that all of us just wrote it off as you having a nightmare and didn't think anything of it, but that you talked about this scary thing for like days and days, maybe weeks. Um, and then finally you stopped talking about it and we stopped talking about it and it went away and we never talked about it again. And he didn't remember ever talking about it to anybody. Um, so he thinks that he really did see something in the middle of the woods, and he said if it would have been September 12th, 1952, it's possible that he was alive. He said that he wouldn't have been four years old yet. You know, he would have still been in his three-year-old. Oh, my. He said, he said you know, it, I guess it's possible that I could remember something. He said, but that seems crazy to me. Um, but I know for sure I remember stuff. I'm 34 years old. Um, I remember things from when I was four. And to me, it, it seems plausible if you're three and something traumatic happens to you that Absolutely. it might be able to stick with you. Absolutely. So and, that so that's a story that actually lends credibility to George yes. Matowski's story. Yeah. Um, you know, because that's about the right time. That's about the right uh, area. Um, you know, and it's just crazy that that was based on – so not based on the illustrations of other – like of the Flatwoods monster case, you know, for the from the twelfth, you know, those illustrations based on that, those didn't do anything to him, but the one specifically trying to recreate what George said he saw was the thing that got him. Yeah. Well, you know, that put the whole new uh, spin on the name of the area. You know, Strange Creek. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder how they got that name. Has there has there always been stuff like this going on? You know. Well, actually, Strange Creek, it's a whole, it's a completely unrelated story of how it got the name. It's, it's an old name, but what hap- there's a legend surrounding it, and actually people don't even know if it's real or not, but there's a legend that takes place sometime in the 1800s. I actually just recently read an article about Strange Creek that was went into the history of it, but that there was a man um, found, I think it was that he found, he was, a man found, tied to a tree dead whose last name was strange so that's what they named that creek after strange creek but it was under odd circumstances like it's not like he was hung right it was like he was tied to the trunk of the tree and left for dead and, and left or I don't know. And and actually, I, right now I'm just remembering, so I might even be getting details wrong. But I know um, there's a website called West Virginia Explorer. Yeah. And actually, I think it's West Virginia Explorer Magazine, if I'm not mistaken. But they're, I believe they're online only. But they recently did an article about um, Strange Creek um, that's rather extensive. But, yeah, that's um, – so that has its own story. But, yeah, that you know, it, it's it's fitting. Yes, it is. Uh, it's a, an area of high strangeness. Well, let me ask you, Andrew, uh, what do you personally – I know you're the curator of the Flatwoods Monster Museum. Uh, are you a believer? Uh, do, you, do you think they saw – what, what do you think they saw? I, I do think that you know, I, like I said, I know Freddie, and and if and if I know, I know him pretty well, and I know him to be a pretty truthful um, man and a pretty uh, frank man, and if he says he saw something that he can't explain, that looks like nothing he's ever seen before or since, then he did. Um, but what exactly it is. You know, I don't know that, and and I don't know that anybody will ever know that, and, you know, Freddie doesn't even know. Um, So I'm not sure. Um, I'm just really not sure what it is, but that I do believe they saw something that they couldn't explain and that might be unexplainable. Um, So whether that's something extraterrestrial, whether that's something interdimensional, 
whether it's something spiritual, um, you know, whatever, um, you know, I think somewhere in that, you know, lies, uh, you know, lies the truth. Um, but I don't think I would be comfortable to speculate exactly what it is or to, you know, push all my chips in on any particular theory. Um, you know, but extraterrestrial makes sense to me. You know, they saw something in the sky um, that turned into something on the ground. You know, if it came from the sky and went to the ground, where did it come from before that? You know, that begs that question. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think that's a strong possibility. Um you know, but I'm open. I'm I'm open. I'm open to any explanation. That's fair enough. You know, I mean, unless we were there, uh, we wouldn't know. So I, right. I, I I respect that completely. Got to go with uh, Mr. May there. Yeah. Well, have you personally had anything that you can't explain happen or witness? You know, it's funny. Um, yes, although in my own mind. There are days when I've just convinced myself that I was seeing things and that it but, that it wasn't real. But I'll tell you the story, and it happened here in Braxton County. Yeah, um, and, and funny enough, something really similar actually just happened the other day. So I'll tell you about that too. But so uh, I was driving one day um, between. Uh, actually, it was uh, I live in Gasway, and I was driving uh, north actually to get on the interstate. Um, so I was driving towards Sutton um, on Route 4 again, <clears throat> and um, as I passed this bend by – this won't mean anything to your listeners, but if anybody wants to do research, they can actually pinpoint right where I was. But I was on Route 4 in this bend in the road um, right before 84 Lumber, and um, it was a beautiful blue sky day, you know, completely clear day, and it was about 6 o'clock in the evening, I want to say where the, the sun was low in the sky, uh, but it was still bright out. And at, and I see basically a orange glow in front of me in the sky, uh, a shape, an object, something glowing orange in front of me in the sky. And my, actually my very first thought was that I was seeing a star, um, which quickly turned uh, into it's too bright still. Like there's not – I wouldn't see stars yet. It's too bright. And then my mind shifted gears into thinking that you, one of my favorite things to see in the sky are uh, passenger airplanes, particularly when the sun's low in the sky and it sort of lights them up from the side and you can see them real well and it's just so cool to see something so well so far away. But then that went away because I thought, well, normally I can make out details. Like I can make out wings. Usually I can even make out rows of windows, that sort of thing, and I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing what I could best describe as a ball or a dot or a circle, like something circular in some manner or another. Um, almost like if you were trying to film that airplane that's really lit up, but you're out of focus to where it turns into just a blob, except I'm seeing it with my naked eyes and my eyes are focusing just fine. So I see this thing and it doesn't appear to even be moving. It's just sitting still. And probably for a total of 20 seconds, 25 seconds, I see this thing up in the sky. And I was actually traveling with my wife, and I was trying to get her to see it, but she never could see it. Um, and so I'm staring at this thing, and then after, like I said, 20 seconds or so, it's just gone. It just like, goes away. And <clears throat> so I was thinking, well, if it was like a passenger airplane and it was reflecting light at me, and if it maybe turned – Maybe I wouldn't see it anymore, but in its place, I should be able to see a silhouette or something. I should see something, or I should see, like, the contrails behind it or something, and there's nothing. So now where there was a spot of light in the sky seemingly setting still is now gone. So that's the closest thing to anything crazy ever happening to me Yeah. to where, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking that I just see a UFO. I don't know. I don't know if I did, but that's what I described as the best I can describe it. But the reason why I said something really similar just happened is uh, actually it just came to me um, yesterday. Um, there's a, a 
gentleman that I know that lives here in town in Sutton, where the Flatwoods Monster Museum is located. Uh, which, by the way, Sutton, for your listeners, or you know, if you don't know, it's uh, just south of Flatwoods a little bit. Um, so the museum is actually located on Main Street in um, Sutton. But a Sutton resident that I know um, came in here the other day and said, boy, have I got something to show you. And I said, what's that? And he said, I'm pretty sure we saw a UFO over Sutton last night. And I said, you're kidding me. And he said, no. He said, I've got video. Um, So he brings it up and shows it to me. And basically what they recorded and what they described is actually looks exactly like what I look like or what I, what I thought I saw that night. Um, and it was just this ball, this orange, whitish orange, and it kind of changes a little bit, um, like between the two, but this ball that's just setting in the sky um, over Sutton on the 20th of this month, 20th of June. We're in June, right? Yeah, yes, the 20th. And, um, and it's just a setting in the sky. And it, it's moving a little bit, but not a lot. Actually, if you look at the video, it looks like it's, at times it might look like it's moving a lot, but that's actually the camera moving because they're just holding it. It's a cell phone. You know, they're doing their best, but they're moving. Um, but otherwise, it's not going away. And it's not moving much. And then it just blinks out of existence. They got it on, on recording of it just disappearing? Yeah, it's on video. And actually, as a matter of fact, I've been trying to, and it's almost done now, actually. I'm uploading it right now to uh, awesome. the uh, Flatwoods Monster Museum Facebook page. Awesome. So it should be live within the next few minutes, um, even. So if anybody's listening to it, you know, the day that this is being released, it should be live. So if you go to our, you know, Flatwoods Monster Museum page on um Facebook, which the best way to find is just go on Facebook and search Flatwoods Monster Museum or at Flatwoods Monster Museum, all one word, it'll come up. But a recent post should be this video. And um, and, I, and I'm presenting the video in its entirety the way it was presented to me. Um, the only thing that I did do is I drop out all the volume because actually the thing is making no noise. The only volume you would hear if I didn't drop it out are the people standing around talking you know, as they're filming it. But they requested that their voices be dropped because they didn't really want to be, you know, in the video per se, like their voices. Um, so, so that's out. Um, but otherwise, uh, the videos, the full length that I was given is what I've got. Um, and it appears to be the full length that was recorded, like from the time the record button was pushed and from the time it was pushed again. And then, um, what I did, um, just so that people didn't have to do any editing or anything themselves is I pulled out, the you know the first I don't know 20 seconds or so of the video where they're pretty zoomed in and it's pretty clear and not too shaky and zoomed real far in on this object that's in the sky um, so then that's tagged onto the end of it so so I have I'll have that up but this basically looks like what I saw when I was leaving Gasaway um, and evidently I don't know if this is a a common form you know that people see and and by all means if anybody can look into this and say you know i was looking at this map or this flight path or whatever and this totally explains it i'm open to that that's fine you know but as of right now it's nothing we know and it doesn't make any sense to us and as a matter of fact this this video was taken at 11 p.m at night but when you watch it that's the only bright thing you'll see in the sky there's no um, there's no stars visible because was, I, I'm pretty sure it was completely overcast that night. I actually need to go and check, um, check the weather for that night. I'm sure I can find that. But to where nothing else is visible in the sky other than this spot. At parts of the video, you you do see some lights in the sky that, well, they appear like they're lights in the sky, but it's actually lights lower down in the frame refracting in the lens itself. Right. So they're, they're street lights, so those aren't anything weird and if you notice as the movement changes you know you'll see them change but that one spot in the sky it doesn't change um so yeah so that'll be live here directly if, if anyone's interested to go look at that i know i will be i can't, I, I can't wait to see that and i just got to tell you you 
seem like such a logical and grounded person. You, at, you're so thorough with the way you explain everything and you try to explain things away. It's like you, uh, you have a healthy dose of skepticism, but you're still open-minded. And I just, I really respect that. I, I think that's, that's a wonderful way to look at things. Well, well, thank you. And and I don't know, you know, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. It really wasn't even my intention at any point to even really have a Flatwoods Monster Museum. It all kind of grew organically. You know, this isn't. None of this stuff is particularly my shuck and drive or anything like that. You know, it's just a thing that I've kind of fallen into, and and I'm all right with it. And people seem to, you know, enjoy it and are interested in it. So, you know, if people are interested in it and enjoy it, and we can, you know, put it out there and more or less, I don't know, if provide it's the right word, but you know, maybe enable it. You know, maybe make it easier to navigate and that sort of stuff. Yeah, you know we're we're happy to do it. Um, so so yeah, so uh, you know anything anything that we can do to to put out stuff and 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 it's amazing. Here's the here's the crazy thing that's kind of amazing is, um, you know we established the Flatwoods Monster Museum officially um, on October or in October of 2018, but really we had as an organization and I'm with the the Braxton County Convention and Visitors Bureau. And as an organization, we've kind of we've been interested in and and looking into you know the Flatwoods Monster story and sort of putting it out there as as a thing that interests folks and interests folks that you know as far as the area is concerned. Um, and um, so, but so we've been collecting data and and info and uh, you know uh, objects and and you know curiosities and things related to the Flatwoods Monster since probably about 2014. And the uh, establishing a museum actually grew out of the fact that we needed to move where our where our office was located, and um, this space that we're in was just so big that it was kind of overkill for say like a visitor center. So we thought, well, instead of just having a visitor center, let's have a double duty because people are interested in the Flatwoods Monster. We'll make it a Flatwoods Monster Museum because we've got all this cool stuff to show too. So we we did that, and we were not we were not prepared for the um, you know for the interest that would be had by it. I mean that is ninety percent of the reason ninety five ninety nine percent of the reason why anybody walks through our doors, and that's fine. We love it. Um, but but what I was going to say, what's been amazing about this is since since I get you know since people talk to me and and see me as a person that's obviously okay with this subject matter because I curate this museum um it's amazing these stories that people have told me because they just think I'm not you know I'm not going to make fun of them so they'll so they'll tell me cuz they want to tell somebody um and it's like probably weekly I'll get somebody in here that will tell me their you know their crazy story whatever it is that they've told almost nobody else because they don't have anybody else to tell. So just running this has actually made me even more keen than I even was before. You know, I've always had an interest in this sort of stuff, but semi-passing or semi as a, because it's fun, you know, because I like scary movies or, you know, whatever, not necessarily because I took it seriously, but the longer that we do this, the longer we have this museum, the longer that that's changing into more just a genuine curiosity because of the amount of people that walk through this door that, as far as I could tell, if you were just looking at it, it's like, oh, that's just a regular old person. You know, it's not a whack job. That's not anybody looking for attention. That's just somebody that's actually not looking for any attention whatsoever. But then, you know, while we're, Maybe they want to buy a T-shirt or something. You know, we're checking out, and I'm just making idle chit-chat. You know, eventually, you know, they might say something like, well, I want to tell you something, and then that's when I know I'm in for a ride. And they're <laughs> going to tell me something that, you know, they've probably never told anybody, and it's it's just been crazy. And, and every day, it, it you know, what I allow into what I would consider, you know, my realm of possibility, it grows every day. Oh yeah, it would have to. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you, if 
if you ever get a hold of somebody that wants to share their story, you can send them my way. <laughs> well, I'm always interested in folks telling their stuff because, you know, that's the thing, too, that, that comes up a lot here is that that's the thing that I think I'm starting to learn is that I don't know that these kind of stories are that special, if that makes sense, or unique. Yeah, like it seems very... like this stuff is happening a lot. Yep, it's very common. It, it, and I don't, I don't know why, but in West Virginia specifically, because I've been all over the country. I was in the, the service for a while. But people here, it seems like something – everybody has a story, mm-hmm. whether it's a ghost or an angel that they, they feel like they were visited by or UFO or Bigfoot. Somebody has something to say, and I just – I love it. Yeah, and a lot of folks that you know that come here, um, you know, to visit, they're not from West Virginia too. Like I would say, easily fifty to seventy percent of the people that you know walk through my door, they're not from West Virginia. However, you know, it, it, it makes it stands the reason that if the folks that have a story to tell, you know, are traveling through West Virginia, they might seek out a place like this just to check it out because as a way to maybe be like, well, I'm not alone. You know, these people saw something crazy and they're normal. And, you know, that, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but yeah, you're right. There, there is this West Virginia thing where, um, and this is a theory that I've worked on for a long time. And I wonder if it's not just that it's remote, you know, we're in the woods a lot. And then on top of that, you know, we have really dark night skies where we can see stuff. Like for example, this thing that I was talking about that happened in Sutton, I would say if, if there are things flying around here, there are also things flying around, you know, like New York City, but it might be so bright that they can't, you know, you can't see them. You, know, you yeah. wouldn't be able to see it because it's too bright. Like it might be as simple as it's dark enough here. Right. Uh, you know, and I don't know if that's the case or not, but, it, you know, boy, it makes sense to me. Yeah, that that does make sense. It, it's dark here, and it's fairly unpopulated. If you actually look at how much land is here, there's a lot of space for uh, for things to move around and not have to be bothered. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this would be a – if I was an alien, this would be the place potentially. I mean maybe maybe some more remote country, maybe not even in the United States. But if you're wanting to get a look at maybe the United States and you're wanting to be a little bit non-invasive, rural West Virginia is a good place to maybe start poking around. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, Andrew, why don't you uh... – I know you you've mentioned it, but tell everybody where to find you, uh, where to find your the museum, uh, maybe Facebook, Instagram, okay, whatever you do. Well, the the you know like I said, the Flatwoods Monster Museum is located on Main Street in Sutton. That's two hundred eight Main Street. If your GPS tries to take you to North Main Street, tell it no. Go to two hundred eight Main Street, and uh, so like I said, we're in Sutton. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Flatwoods Monster Museum or on Instagram at Flatwoods Monster Museum or on Twitter at Monster Museum. And um, you can look at us, you can look us up on our website, which is, excuse me, which is uh, com, and that's B-R-A-X-X-I-E.com. That's our cute little nickname for the Flatwoods Monster. Um, if you go there, that actually takes you to the Flatwoods Monster portion of the, the greater um, Braxton County website um, and sort of sort of the area that would tell you sort of any and everything you might be interested in in Braxton County, which is braxtonwv.org. Um, and, oh, and something else that your, um, your listeners might be interested in. I actually pretty recently completed a short um, documentary um, that I made myself um, it's the first one I've ever done um, that actually went into the history of the what's considered to be, and I think is, um, the first novelty item made in celebration of the Flatwoods Monster that was made in the late 60s. Um, and it was a, it's a ceramic lantern, and they're still made today. As a matter of fact, we sell them. Um, but they're still made, and they're made the same way. Um, so if anybody is interested in that, if they would go on YouTube and look up The Lantern um, by the account Braxton WV, um, 
it's it's on there. It's a 22-minute long documentary if you've got some time to fill. Or we also, of course, have it uploaded to our Facebook page, um, the Flatwoods Monster Museum. So a lot of places to look at it. So if you've got 20 minutes to spare and you want to watch a cool little documentary I made, you can watch it there. Well, fantastic. I, I actually have one of the lanterns in okay. the office right now. But I will, I'll put a, uh, a YouTube link up on my Facebook page. That way, anybody that wants to watch it, they don't have to go too far. Awesome. Uh, I'll, I'll try to share that and get the get the word out with you. All right. Yeah, if you need the link or anything like that, just let me know, and I'll get that to you. All right, man. Well, I, I really appreciate your time, and it's, this has been a great interview. I've, I've always been into the Flatwoods Monster, and just to hear it firsthand, you know, from the curator of the museum, I think that's just that's just top-notch, man. I really appreciate you. Well, thank you, and I want to tell you, too, that I, I appreciate you getting a hold of me, and I appreciate you – you know, sort of running me down because you know you you tried several times to get a hold of me to 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 be you know to be interviewed, and I don't know how, but I just kept missing it. I guess, <laughs> or maybe I was getting a barrage of messages from all over at one time, and it just fell through the cracks. So I'm sorry about that, but I'm glad that that I was able to get you, and I'm really sorry about completely forgetting <laughs> that we were uh, planning to uh, you know talk. Yesterday I had something come up and it completely slipped my mind, so I want to apologize again for that. Hey, no need. That's life, man. That's life. You know, it's no problem at all. I'm just, well, I really appreciate you having me on. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. I'll, I'll talk to you later, and I'll, I'll probably be up there to see you uh, or drop in on the museum probably sometime this summer. So I'll come up there quite a bit. I'll see you around. All right. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts from and leave me a five-star rating and review. You can follow me on Facebook at The Bump Podcast. I'm on Instagram under the same name and Twitter. Um, If you have a story that you'd like to share, please feel free to message me on any of those platforms and I'll be sure to get back to you. Or you can email me at thebumppodcast at gmail.com. That's thebumppodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, be sure to check out the merchandise that I have now. It's on my Facebook page. I have links to everything. It's on Teespring. You can find it as The Bump Podcast or The Bump Podcast Bigfoot on Teespring. I have lots of merch. I got a whole lot more coming out. Um, All of the artwork, I'm doing it myself. I'm designing everything myself. So it's a, it's a lot of work on my end, but I'm just hoping that I put something out there that you guys can enjoy. So thanks again for listening, and don't stop believing. <laughs>